This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Bo Diaz. Bo Diaz, card number 265, catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, Bo Diaz. This is a player that's come up several times on the show. Is that why we're talking about him today? Yes, Matt. We have talked about him a few times before, previously on the Ozzy Virgil, Ron Hassey, and Mike Diaz episode. Bo is a hero in Venezuela, an all-star catcher who died tragically way too young, and he has a saber bio by Andrea Long. But he was a, a very good catcher for a few teams, for Cleveland, the Phillies, and Cincinnati, and pictured here on the Reds. Great. We'll go to the front of 265, where we have Bo Diaz dressed like an RBI baseball catcher in a gray and red lumpy stance. He's in the batter's box. He's giving it a look. I like the stirrups in full view here, These the red stirrups and the red undershirt, long sleeves peeking out under his away reds grays. Bo Diaz is catcher-sized. <laughs> he looks like a catcher. He could be anywhere from five one to six feet tall. Yeah. No idea. He just he looks just squat. A compact man. And even his face looked kind of compact. But then if you, if you see him in younger pictures, he had a full beard and he looks like a totally different person. But clean shaven, if you go to his baseball reference page, he has just a very small face. On this picture, when you see that small face, you also kind of think that he would have a very small frame. But he's actually 5'11", 205, so a pretty large man. Yeah, his facial features are very small and compact on his face. And it does make you think that he's either an enormous man or a small man with a giant dugout behind him. Also, David, who's in the dugout? It looks like maybe there's a groundskeeper and also C-3PO. <laughs> What? I Who think, is back there? I think that that is an Expos player. Does that look like kind of like an Expos uniform? I, you can see the, the red and blue on the sleeves. I've got the Jumbotron zoomed in to 200%. What I can see is between Bo's legs, you can see someone in a white shirt. And what looks like could very vaguely be the Expos logo on his left chest, right? And then to our right, to the right of Bo Diaz's leg... You have what looks like, I think, the golden android shape and hue of C-3PO from Star Wars. I mean, it could be someone very poorly lit, or it could be a diplomatic android who is highly annoying, but saves the day every now and then. Yeah, and, and is fluent in three million forms of communication. Bachi is like a second language to him. Let's go to the back of 265, where we have Bo Diaz. 5'11", 205, right-handed batter and thrower. Signed by the Red Sox in 1970 as a free agent. Born March 23rd, 1953 in Cua, Venezuela, with a home in Caracas, Venezuela. Bo's given name is Bodilio Jose Diaz, and he is, I believe, the first Venezuelan player that we've talked about. Venezuela has a rich baseball history and baseball was introduced to the country in the late 1910s, early 1920s by American workers working in the booming oil industry in Venezuela. The first big leaguer from Venezuela was Alejandro Carrascal, 
a pitcher in the 1930s and 40s for the Senators and later for the White Sox, and also the uncle of Chico Carrascal, who was a shortstop in the 1950s, an all-star shortstop for the White Sox, the beginning of a long, at least three-player-long Venezuelan shortstop tradition in White Sox history, including the first and only Venezuelan-born Hall of Famer, Luis Aparicio, and also Ozzy Guillen. But there's probably some more Hall of Famers to come, greats like Miguel Cabrera, Jose Altuve, Bobby Abreu, and we'll talk about a few more Venezuelan players in this set as well. One teammate of Bo Diaz, another great shortstop, Dave Concepcion, also in the 88 top set. Cua, Venezuela is a city of 120,000 in the Miranda state in Venezuela, about 50 miles from the Caribbean. Famous Cua residents include Maria Teresa Castillo, an activist and journalist who started the Caracas Athenaeum, a cultural institution that hosts the International Theater Festival of Caracas, along with many other festivals and art fairs and and cultural events in Caracas. Castillo also founded the Venezuelan chapter of Amnesty International in 1978. Also pianist and composer Evencio Castellanos, who performed at Notre Dame Cathedral and whose compositions have been recorded and performed throughout the world, a Venezuelan classical music composer is from Cuba. And Pancho Preen, a composer and singer, and will play a little bit of a Pancho Preen song. I enjoyed the up-tempo and fun music that Pancho Preen made here. This song is El Aguariente, which is the name of a typical bootleg liquor that you find in Colombia and Venezuela. And I need to do some research on the lyrics here because they go a little fast for my Spanish, but I, I definitely pick out the word monkey and I have a feeling that if this song is about El Guardiente, it could be about some hijinks that are happening that might happen when partaking. But it's I like the sound of this a lot. I had a lot of fun in Colombia. I have not been to Venezuela yet, but I look, to, look forward to visiting sometime. Normally in this section where we're talking about hometowns, we talk about high schools. Bo didn't go to school past sixth grade. His family had six kids, and his father, Angel, was a contractor, work in Kua was inconsistent, and the family often struggled. There wasn't money to send Bo to a private high school, and he eventually went to work. But jobs were limited for a teenager, so he left his hometown and went to the capital of Caracas, where he moved in with his older brother. He worked in a factory and at a car wash and played in a factory baseball league, mostly for fun, but sometimes scouts would show up. And at this point, Bo had already shown some aptitude for baseball. He had played for a team that had qualified for the Little League World Series, but an earthquake had prevented them from traveling to the Little League World Series. But at this point, he's just playing in the factory baseball league. At 17, he's supposed to join the military. And at this time in the 50s into the early 70s, Venezuela was unstable and there were guerrilla operations that were operating in the area that were pretty dangerous, kidnappings, robberies, and government unrest. So that wasn't an attractive option for a 17-year-old Bo Diaz. But playing in that factory league, he was noticed by a scout named Willie Paffin, 
I didn't find much about Willie Paffin, but he was the Latin America scout for the Red Sox based in Venezuela. He also signed Jackie Gutierrez and Carlos Quintana to Red Sox contracts. Bo got his father's permission to sign with the Red Sox, leaving that factory life behind and also leaving the prospect of joining the military. And so in 1971, he's 18 years old, speaks almost no English and heads to America to go to the Red Sox minor league system. He played for four different teams between A-level Winter Haven, Winston-Salem, Williamsport, and AA Pawtucket. He played in 16 games, hitting 132 and picking up a knee injury, so not a great start. And he wasn't paid much. I mean, he's only 18 years old at this point. He was sleeping on cots in the clubhouse. It's a pretty tough situation. It's not a war zone, but it ain't great. And the injury didn't heal over that first winter that he was away. So Bo showed up to spring training and needed surgery and went on the DL for the first of many trips. So that second season, he again only played in 14 games in 1972 back at A-level. He played winter ball in Venezuela for Caracas. But even in his home country, he was relegated to a backup spot. His team did win the league title that year. So in 1973, he's assigned to Elmira, and he was able to move on up from the clubhouse to the YMCA, but again, only plays in 25 games, hitting 246. He spends the next two seasons at A-ball and didn't do anything particularly notable. Played in 97 and then 59 games, hitting 242 and then 263. So at this point, he's had five seasons in A-ball, aside from one game at Double A. He's missed a lot of time, had multiple knee injuries, and only 21 years old. By 1976, he gets promoted to AAA and played fine in 62 games, 248 with four home runs. 1977, he had his most complete and best season in the minors, playing in 105 games, hitting 263 with seven homers, driving in 54, 14 doubles, a solid season, and he earns a call up to the Red Sox in September. But there really wasn't a chance that he was going to break through. The Red Sox had Carlton Fisk, and Bo hadn't shown that kind of quality. He did get into two games, had one at bat, and struck out against El Presidente, Dennis Martinez. It's at least a sniff at the majors. And in March of 1978, the Red Sox traded Diaz with Ted Cox, Mike Paxton, and Rick Wise to Cleveland for Dennis Eckersley and Fred Kendall. Rick Wise was a veteran. He lasted two seasons in Cleveland, leading the American League in losses in 1978 with 19. Cox, Paxton, and Kendall didn't do much. Kendall did father Jason Kendall, so that accomplishment. But he only Good job. Good job. Yes. But he only spent one season in Boston. Eck won 20 games that first year in Boston and played six-plus years, making an all-star game before getting traded to the Cubs. While Cleveland was happy to have Bo because of his good arm, he still wasn't a regular starter. He played 135 games over three seasons. First, he served as a backup, and then he lost the backup role to Ron Hassey in 1979 and gets sent to AAA. That offseason, he set the Venezuelan league home run record with 20 in just 247 at-bats. So he is showing some quality in a very good league. A lot of times the Venezuelan league had a significant number of major league players and Bo's home run record stood until 2013. In 1980, he plays just 76 games. Now as Ron Hassey's backup, Hassey hit 318 that year. Bo was 27 
And this was the most that he had ever played in Major League Baseball. In the strike year of 1981, Ron Hassey was injured and both finally got his shot. He was hitting 356 on June 12th when the strike finally started. And when play resumed, Bo was named to the All-Star team. That made him the hometown hero at the All-Star game since it was played in Cleveland. A great ovation for all of the Cleveland coaches and former players. And Bo got a great ovation. The fans were ready for baseball to be back. They were sick of the strike. But Bo, unfortunately, in the game, failed at bringing the heroics. He had only one plate appearance, and he struck out against the recently departed Vita Blue. The strike also gave Ron Hassey time to heal. Bo knew that he was the backup and that his playing time would decrease when Hassey came back, and it did. And Bo was upset about it. He only started 14 games in the second half of the season and hit 234, so it brought his season average down to 313. He had seven homers and 19 doubles and a very good OPS plus of 156 in 63 games. He also threw out 40% of would-be base thieves. And meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies had a very low caught stealing percentage with Bob Boone and Keith Moreland throwing out runners well below the league average. And so in November, a three-team trade was made with Bo heading to Philadelphia. Lonnie Smith was sent from the Phillies to the Cardinals. The Cardinals sent Silvio Martinez and Larry Sorensen to Cleveland. And the Phillies sent Scott Munninghoff to Cleveland. <laughs> All great names. Great names. Phillies fans were not happy. Lonnie Smith went on to have an all-star season, win a World Series, and finish second in MVP voting. Martinez didn't pitch for Cleveland. Sorensen was a below-average starter for two years. And in the offseason, Bo went back to Venezuela and was part of the Caribbean World Series winning Caracas team. Bo was the MVP. He hit 412 on that team that was full of big leaguers. Tony Armas, Luis Salazar, Luis Liel, Bud Black, Ron Gardenhire, Andres Galarraga, and Steve Sachs all played on that 1982 Caracas team. And you'd think, after that, the Phillies would be excited to welcome Bo onto the team, get a hero's welcome, but what's the opposite of a hero's welcome? Is that just a Philly welcome? The Sporting News said he was welcomed, quote, with the warmth reserved for axe murderers. <laughs> so the media didn't expect a lot from him. They called him injury-prone, an acceptable hitter. As slow as the legislative process. Ah, that's that's <laughs> low blow. That's a low blow. They did point out that he had a strong arm, and Bo was just happy to have a chance to play, but he was a little bit nervous about catching Steve Carlton. Carlton had had a personal catcher, Tim McCarver, and McCarver retired in 1980, and he was very picky about his catchers. So Diaz was concerned that they wouldn't get along, but the pair would end up being pretty successful. Diaz caught 79 of Carlton's starts, the third most of any catcher behind McCarver and Bob Boone. Nine of those 79 starts were shutouts, 11% of those starts, which was a higher percentage than McCarver or Boone had. Along with getting along with Lefty, Bo got the fans on his side in 1982, and in the first half of the season, he hit 295 with 14 home runs and probably should have been an all-star. John Stearns, who just passed away in 2022, was one of the backup catchers. He was hitting 300 and was the only Met, and so Stearns ensured that every team had an all-star. 
The Phillies already had their all-stars in Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt, Manny Trio, and Steve Carlton. So Bo is left out. I learned in reading about this that that rule that every team has to have an all-star has been in place since 1935. Well, it kept Bo Diaz from a, a third all-star appearance. He only ended up with two in his career. I think he probably should have made the team. Bo had a very good season. He was a team player, and he was described as disconsolate after a loss to St. Louis in April, in which he went four for four with two homers, two doubles, and four RBIs, but the Phillies lost. The fans warmed up to him for those kind of performances. In May, he had another two-home run game and got a curtain call from the Phillies fans. So they they turned it around just in two months. The Phillies won 89 games on the season, finishing in second place, three games behind Lonnie Smith and the Cardinals. And Bo finished with career highs in games played, runs, hits, doubles, homers with 18 home runs, RBIs with 85, and he hit for a 288 average, a 115 OPS+. Plus. He also had a career high with three stolen bases. Ooh, that's a a speed surge. Uh, You'd mentioned before the caught stealing percentage. He threw out 32% of base thieves, which was league average, but he didn't make a lot of mistakes behind the plate. And overall, he improved the defensive performance of the team. He was valued at 3.7 war for the year, which was fifth among catchers. And right behind John Stearns, who had similar value, but in only 98 games. That was 1982. In 1983, that was a big year for the Phillies. Although Bo's offense took a step back, he was very solid on defense. He hit only 236 with an on-base percentage under 300 and an OPS plus of 84. But he hit 15 home runs, so that power could help. And one of those home runs was huge. On April 13th against the Mets, the Phillies went into the ninth inning down 9-5. to And the Mets got two outs. And walked the bases loaded. Bill Robinson comes up against Jesse Orosco, walks to score a run. And so the score is 9-6 to six with two outs and the bases loaded. And Bo comes to the plate. The Mets replaced Jesse Orosco with Neil Allen. And we have the call. Allen winds. The 2-1 pitch. Swing a long drive. Deep left field. A grand slam. The Phillies have won the game 10-9. Bo hit an ultimate Grand Slam, brought to you by Denny's. This was the 12th ultimate Grand Slam in Major League history. Now we're up to 32. The last one was September 2022, hit by John Carlos Stanton of the Yankees. That is a bases-loaded walk-off home run with the team trailing by three runs. This one was extra special because there were also two outs in the ninth inning. So just a, a huge home run. That's and ultimate, ultimate, ultimate. The, yes, that means they added an extra egg. This Phillies team was known as the Wheeze Kids because of their aged core of Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez, and Steve Carlton. They battled the Pirates and Expos for the NL East title, ultimately taking over first place for good on September 18th. They clinched on September 28th in a 13-6 win over the Cubs. In that game, Bo went 5-for-5 with two home runs, scoring four and driving in three. So just a huge game, personally, for Bo, and a huge moment for him. And he called it his greatest game because of the meaning to the team clinching the NL East. Yeah, you love that from him, that it's not just about his personal performance. He's just a big team player. 
When it came to the NLCS, Bo hit only 154. He went two for 13. And those two hits came in the final game where the Phillies made it to the World Series. And in the World Series, Bo had pretty good performance against the Orioles. He went five for 15 with a double, a walk, and a run scored. But unfortunately, the Wheeze kids just couldn't overcome that Orioles magic. After the Phillies won game one, the Orioles won four straight. So in the offseason after 1983, Bo played only four games for Caracas due to back pain. And in 1984, he started strong after that rest. He hit 295 in April before a collision tore a ligament in his knee. That put him on the DL. He had surgery, returned in June, then sat out a bit, played 11 games in July and August, and then had a second surgery and was out for the year. So that was a lost year for him. The injuries were frustrating and also allowed Ozzie Virgil to step in and have a solid season. The Phillies started shopping Bo around, which disappointed him. He felt like they treated him as if he was expendable, but publicly he was open to whatever option would allow him to play. In 1985, he returned healthy, but Ozzie Virgil remained the starter. And then Bo got hit by a pitch, which broke a bone in his wrist. While on the DL, he also ended up in the hospital with kidney stones. So just Mm. when it rains, it pours for, for Bo. He came back in June and played only 26 games through August 2nd. It didn't help that Ozzie Virgil had an all-star first half. Bo was 32 and said, I really want to get out of here just so I can play. I know my time for retirement is coming, but I think I can help somebody for two or three years. And his old teammate, Pete Rose, was now managing in Cincinnati. The Reds GM said, when you have a chance to get Bo Diaz, you must jump at it. This is just one of those immutable truths of the universe, David. When you have a chance to get Bo Diaz, you must jump at it. You have to. I think I think that's in the Constitution. Red's teammates were excited. Fellow Venezuelan Dave Concepcion said, we are back in business. Everyone's so excited about Bo Diaz. I, I mean, who wouldn't be excited? He's a good catcher who's a team player. It did take Bo some time to get into the swing of things in Cincinnati. His average dropped to 172 before he went on a 13-game hitting streak. He had 261 in 51 games for the Reds. And Bo had the respect of the pitching staff. Guy Hoffman said he told Bo that in one at bat, whatever you call, I'm going to throw. Yeah, that's, that's not very normal for 1980s pitchers, really. And he said... Bo struck him out on four pitches. I didn't strike him out. Bo struck him out. That is quite something. His teammates did love him. The Reds won 89 games, finishing second in the NL West. And then they finished second again in 1986, but they never really came close to the Astros, finishing 10 games back. Bo was a starting catcher and appeared in 134 games in 1986. He hit 272 with 10 home runs and 56 RBIs. He had the fifth best wins above replacement in the National League among catchers. He was fourth in total base runners caught. Again, his caught stealing percentage was above average. But on June 27th of that year, he helped the Giants' Robbie Thompson set a single game record, a dubious single game record. Mm. Thompson was caught stealing four times. Both threw him out three times, and the fourth was a John Franco pickoff. Scott Gereltz stole a base in this game, which is also kind of humorous. (laughs) That Bo caught Robbie Thompson three times, but didn't catch Scott Gereltz. The Giants ended up winning in extra innings despite Bo's arm-based heroics. 
In the offseason of 1986, Bo led Leones to a Venezuelan League title and set him up for 1987, which was another second-place finish for Cincinnati, 84-78. and 78. Bo had a good first half of the season, hit 292 with seven home runs, playing 82 games in the first half. He was named to the All-Star team. Eric Davis was a starter, and John Franco was also named to the team. This is an All-Star team roster that also had Gary Carter and Ozzie Virgil, who had 15 home runs at that point. So this is a stacked all-star team behind the plate. Bo went 0 for 1 in his plate appearance. He did win the July National League Player of the Month award, hitting 351 with five home runs that month. He was really hot and only took a few days off that month, which maybe was a disservice to him. He was 34 and time was catching up with him. And Pete Rose admitted that season that he overused Bo. He was hitting over 300 into early August, and then he slumped from August 5th on. He hit 171, and the Reds were 15 and 25 in games that he played over that stretch. He really needed a rest, and in the offseason, he didn't play as he usually would in the Venezuelan League. He took some time for himself and, and took some time off. In 1988, shoulder tendonitis and a recurring knee injury limited him. His average dropped from 270 to 219, and he only appeared in 92 games. He had knee surgery at the end of the season in 1988, and he expected to return, and he felt good at the beginning of 1989, but then had some unexpected visa issues that delayed him. And then his son had to have surgery on a benign tumor that was on his head. So Bo didn't start the season until a couple weeks after it had started. He finally made the lineup in the 14th game of the season. He again had knee issues that limited his effectiveness. He was hitting only 205, played only half the team's games through July 9th. And he didn't realize it, but July 9th would be his final game. He had surgery on his knee again and was out for the rest of the year. At this point, he's 37, out of contract. And he wants to play again, but he didn't have any offers. He hadn't officially retired. And in 1990, the Reds would make their amazing run to the playoffs and into the World Series. Bo was in Venezuela gearing up for the Winter League, and he would have preferred to be with the team. He said, I played hard and gave it my best in Cincinnati, and I grew to love the people of the city because they treated me well. I'm rooting for them all the way in the playoffs and the World Series. So from Venezuela, he watched them sweep the A's, and he was preparing to play again. But unfortunately, he wouldn't get another chance. So closing the book on Bo Diaz, 13 seasons in the major leagues, 993 games played, 255 average, which was an OPS plus of 87, and 87 home runs. Five of his games had multiple home runs. And he also had two all-star appearances. And in the love to face, lefties. He loved to face Shane Raleigh. He went 10 for 20 against him. 11 for 22 against Zane Smith. And against Fernando Valenzuela, 41 plate appearances, a 382 average, and a 921 OPS. But why didn't he get another chance in the majors? On November 23rd, 1990, Bo was at his home in Caracas. And it was a windy day, and his satellite dish was knocked offline. He went to the roof to fix it. And the dish collapsed on top of Bo, crushing his head and neck and killing him instantly. Bo Diaz was dead at 37. He was buried in his Caracas Leones jersey. Thousands came to his funeral, including the president of Venezuela. 
He was survived by his wife, Maria, and two sons, Bo Daniel and Joshua, who were nine and six years old. What a tragic story. And it makes this an abrupt end. So now looking back at Bo Diaz, we've looked at his career, but don't have a retirement to talk about. Now, what do we think? Bo Diaz probably could have had a career in coaching. He was that well-respected by teammates, by younger players, and by the people of Venezuela. He was loved there. And he was loved by his teammates. They praised his kindness and his toughness. Eric Davis, no stranger to injury, said, When Bo wasn't playing, you knew he had to be hurt because he was so tough. His peak was from 1981 to 1987. In that stretch, he was 10th in wins above replacement among catchers. So he was also a very good player, particularly when he had a chance and when he was able to stay healthy. In those seasons, he was one of the top five catchers in the league when he was able to play a significant number of games. There was a story about a game in Cincinnati that had a really low attendance, and Bo was a was a quiet guy, and somebody suggested that he was the only player who would enjoy it if there were no fans in the stand. And Ron Oster said, Bo wants to be appreciated. He might not come out and say it, but it is what he feels. And in death, Bo got that appreciation, both from his teammates who all came out. There's kind words from Barry Larkin and Eric Davis and other greats who he played with, but later from the people of Venezuela. In 2006, he's inducted into the Venezuelan Baseball Hall of Fame. And in 2013, a sports complex called the Domo Badilio Diaz opened. Also in his hometown, there's a baseball field with a statue of Bo. And when we think of statues of great players, they're often pitching or, or batting, but Bo is dressed in his catcher's gear and sitting behind the plate, ready to catch a pitch. It really is a tragic story of a guy who was so young, had just finished his career, but wasn't quite ready to give it up. And you can't help but wonder if he might have helped some young players along the way and helped some young catchers if he had been given a a few more years to live. It is very sad. And I agree with you that his story sounds like a lot of other players who end up being managers and end up being in baseball for 40 years after they play because everyone else around them is made better when they're there. It really speaks to his legacy on the field and just so sad that we didn't get to learn more, but a great story. And thank you very much for that. And so we will raise a glass of Aguardiente to Bo Diaz. If you want to join us to say cheers, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week.